And we'll actually start reading from chapter 4, verse 25, to the end of chapter 5. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enos lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enos lived a total of 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalal. And after he became the father of Mahalalal, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalal had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalal lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalal lived a total of 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years and then... He died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord had cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Heavenly Father, we bow before your word, and our prayer is that word might be our rule, that your spirit, that he might be our teacher, and that your honour and your glory alone might be our supreme concern. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.
Please have that passage open in front of you. Uh, There is an old fable about a man who made an unusual agreement with death. He told death that he would willingly accompany him when the time came, but on one condition. That death would send him a messenger to warn him well in advance. The weeks turned into months, the months into years, until decades had passed. Finally, one day, one bitter winter morning, as that man sat alone thinking about the day ahead and all his worldly possessions, death suddenly entered the room and tapped him on the shoulders. The man was startled and cried out in despair, you're here so soon, and without warning, I thought we had made an agreement. Death replied, Well, I've more than kept my part of our little bargain. I've sent you many messengers. Look at yourself in the mirror and you'll see some of them. As the man looked, death whispered, Notice your hair. Once it was thick and black, but now it is thin and grey. Look at the way you turn your head to listen to my voice. You can no longer hear so well. Observe how closely you lean into the mirror in order to see yourself clearly. Your eyesight is not what it once was. Oh yes, I've sent my messengers through the years. I've kept my part of the bargain. It's a shame you did not keep yours. I'm sorry that you're not ready for me. But it's now time for us to leave. Such is... Adam's legacy. As we continue our series in the book of Genesis, you may remember that despite murdering his brother Abel, Cain's line is allowed to flourish, leading to the glorious rise of civilization through his children, grandchildren, and their children, and so on. But with this steady uh, growing line from Adam via Cain, we also see the steady decline of the human race because of the growing power of sin. And sin sin seems to reach its climax in Lamech. So in this ungodly line of Cain, the suggestion is that all these early developments in industry, artistic creativity, and technology are all, all these things are tainted By sin. And yet there is a glimmer of hope. Because Adam and Eve have another offspring. A son named Seth. And the people in his line. Begin to proclaim the name of the Lord. In contrast to the line of Cain. This line contains people of faith. Men and women of faith. So the families that come from Seth's body are blessed of God. And the key idea seems to be that the offspring of the woman who will one day crush the snake, remember chapter 3 verse 15, will eventually come from the godly line of this people, Seth and his descendants. Incidentally, 
This implies that as far as God's promises are concerned, the line of Cain, despite its progress and achievements, becomes a complete irrelevance. A fact which you and I need to keep in sharp focus as we attempt to fulfill certain worldly aspirations here and now. So the last two verses of chapter 4 of the book of Genesis anticipates chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, which contains a genealogy or a family tree from Adam to Noah via the line of Seth rather than via the line of Adam through Cain. Genesis chapter 4 verses 25 and 26, if you like, serve as a kind of trailer or preview of chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5 with me. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Uh, These verses echo, remember, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and mark the beginning of a new section in the book of Genesis. But if you compare chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 6, verse 9, and chapter 11, verse 10, here we have the added idea of a written account, or a book of. You see that in verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. The suggestion is that Moses had access to other written sources that he used to construct Genesis chapter 5. That in itself is fascinating, but the point is this. Although scripture was breathed out by God, via human authors like Moses, who then wrote down precisely what God the Holy Spirit intended, not all scripture was downloaded directly, as it were, like, for example, the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. The writing of scripture sometimes involved painstaking work or research on the part of the human author, as hinted at here in chapter 5 and verse 1, and later in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Now there are two key ideas, two things that Elohim Yahweh wants us to learn from Genesis chapter 5. And the first is this. Death reigns, even over the line of Seth. Since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden, all those years ago, death has become inevitable and inescapable. Death reigns even over the godly line of Seth. Is a point that we have to come to terms with, brothers and sisters. See, as we move from Genesis chapter 2 to chapter 4, we have been reading a story of steady decline. First, we see a deterioration in the attitude of Cain compared with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are tempted by something outside of themselves, remember? Namely the snake or the serpent. By chapter 4, sin has taken on a personality of its own and attached itself to Cain's person. It has become an internal force motivating and moving him to murder his very own brother. Second, 
Eve was deceived into disobeying God's word in chapter 3. But in chapter 4, Cain simply rejects outright the Lord's appeal. Cain, do the right thing. But he rejects it. Third, when Adam and Eve are sentenced in chapter 3, they accept it, leaving the garden, perhaps silently, but for Eve's tears as they went. Cain, on the other hand, protests at the sentence that is passed, complaining that it's too hard in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And finally, Cain commits the hateful crime of murdering his own brother, but later on, Lamech, one of his descendants, remorselessly boasts over the murder he has committed. In summary then, in speaking of these opening chapters of the Bible, one writer put it this way. It portrays sin as endemic. That is, something inherent in the human psyche. Sin is everywhere and in all of us. Is another way to put that. Now, the genealogy or family history of Genesis chapter 5 follows a standard formula. I wanted you to notice it as I read it earlier on. For example, in verse 6, Seth lived 105 years, then he became the father of Enosh. After that, verse 7, he lived a further 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. And this cycle is repeated eight times in this chapter. And one of the results of this repeated cycle is that when it is broken, we are supposed to sit up and pay careful attention. But also, at the end of verse 7, verse 10, verse 13, 16, 19, 22 and 26, we are told that the named person had other sons and daughters. Did you notice that? That was one of the other repeated refrains in the chapter. In other words, the line of Seth is being blessed by God. People are, are having many children and living long lives. God's grace is such that even though sin has entered our world, the human race is still being allowed to be fruitful and increase in number, in keeping with chapter 1, verse 28. That is good and glorious news. But the bad news is that death reigns, even over this godly line of Seth. Faith in Elohim Yahweh, calling on or proclaiming his name alone, cannot undo Adam's Legacy. So in verse 5, Adam dies. In verse 8, Seth dies. In verse 11, Enosh dies. In verse 14, Kenan dies. And on and on it goes. And then he died, and then he died. In verse 27, despite being the oldest man in the Bible, even Methuselah eventually dies. In case we had not picked it up, this repeated refrain, in keeping with the promise of chapter 2 verse 17, bore eloquent testimony to the decline, deterioration, and degeneration of the human race.
Even the godly people who cried out in faith in the line of Seth did not escape death. Uh, The point of verse 3 is this. Look at verse 3. Even though Adam's son Seth reflected something of the image of God like his father before him, the writer tells us that Adam had a son in his likeness as opposed to God's likeness. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his, in Adam's likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Did you see? Very easy to miss. But this is something new. You see, in chapter 1, verse 27, we learn that human beings have been made in God's own image. But Adam's son, we are told, now has been made in his image and likeness. So the image of God is passed from one generation to the next. Yes, but so has something else. Look at verse 5 with me in verse 8. Verse 5, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. Look at verse 8, altogether Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. Adam had passed something else on to his offspring. In a word, death. Do you see the point? Well, if not, well, let me put it in New Testament terms by way of quoting the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. Paul writes these words, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now I'm going to get a bit theological for a moment, which is not a bad thing. The reason we all became sinners, subject to death, according to Paul, is because of our connection with Adam. Adam was unique amongst men, because he was chosen to be the legal representative head of our race, the human race. God made a covenant of creation with and through Adam by virtue of the fact that Adam was chosen to represent us in the Garden of Eden. But Adam rebelled, breaking the covenant of creation that God had established through him. So he became subject to death. Now in a sense, when everyone from Seth to the time of Moses sinned, They did so as individuals in a kind of vacuum because they had no law and therefore no standing before God as such and therefore no relationship to his judgment. So in a sense, sin could not be credited to them in the same way it could to Adam who sinned by breaking a direct and specific command of God in the Garden of Eden, chapter 2, verse 17 of Genesis. Seth, Enosh, Kenan, etc. were not in the garden. You and I were not in the garden. And we did not eat a piece of fruit that we were commanded not to eat. And yet, and yet, what God in his infinite wisdom decided to do 
was to view the entire human race in and through Adam. Or through the framework of the covenant he established with Adam at creation. The people in Genesis chapter 5, and by implication you and I, were in a sense included in the covenant of creation that Elohim Yahweh had established with and through Adam. So when Adam sinned and became subject to death, everyone else, including you and I, became sinners subject to death. Also by virtue of our covenant connection to Adam through creation. His sin and death was imputed or credited to them and therefore to us. That is why between the period of Adam and Moses, before the law was given, was introduced, people still died. They died because sin was credited to them, not through the breaking of the law, like in Adam's case, but through their covenant connection to Adam as their representative head. Now, whether you agree with that or not, whether you like that or not, that is how the Apostle Paul seems to explain the link between Genesis 3 and the sin and death we see in chapter 4 and 5. And in the world of 2020. Hence, reading through Genesis chapter 5 is like walking through a cemetery. An old legend is told of a merchant living in Baghdad who one day sent his servant down to the marketplace. Before very long, the servant returned white and trembling. He said to his master, down in the marketplace, an old woman in the crowd, well, she jostled me. When I turned to look, I saw death staring straight back at me. The servant begged his master for a stallion so that he might run and ride away and run away from death. To hide from death in another city. The merchant lent his best horse to his terrified servant who galloped away at great, great speed. Troubled by this incident, later on that day, the merchant went down to the marketplace and he saw death standing over there in the crowd. He went over and he asked her, why did you frighten my servant with such a threatening gesture? Death replied, oh, it wasn't a threatening gesture, but rather a look of surprise. I was just astonished to see your servant in Baghdad. Because this very night, I have an appointment with him in another city. Whether you accept what the Bible says about sin and death or not, the fact is, according to God's word, you are a sinner by nature. And you will one day have to face up to death. If you've been to a funeral recently, as some of us here have, you will know that even when the deceased is someone who belonged to the godly line of Seth, as it were, the joy of knowing they are now with Jesus is still mixed with the bitter pill of knowing they no longer walk among us. So whether you're rich or poor, male or female, young or old, religious or not particularly religious, the first thing Elohim Yahweh wants us to be clear about is that Death is inevitable and inescapable because death reigned even over the godly line of Seth. But that brings me to the second thing. 
And we need the second thing, don't we? Because that's quite a depressing picture. But, secondly, hope lives through the life of Enoch. In the face of death, this chapter is also here to tell us that hope lives through the life of Enoch. The pattern I spoke of earlier, uh, that ends each time with the refrain, and then he died, is broken twice in this chapter. The second time comes in verses 28 to 32, with the birth of Noah, and in anticipation of chapters 6 to 8, and the flood during Noah's day. Noah's father, Lamech, not to be confused with the Lamech, the ungodly Lamech in chapter 4. The Lamech here in chapter 5 and verse 29 is a man of faith who seeks relief, comfort and rest from the painful toil caused by the curse of Genesis chapter 3. So he names his son Noah. Because the name Noah sounds like the word for relief or for rest or for comfort in the language of the Old Testament. So in contrast to the Lamech of chapter 4, in faith, this Lamech in chapter 5 is looking for the offspring of the woman who will crush the snake and bring deliverance from the curse on the land. And in faith, he was hopeful that perhaps his son, Noah, would be the one. But the first time the pattern of chapter 5 is disrupted, It's with respect to Jared's son, a man named Enoch. Look at verse 21 with me. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was... No more. Because God took him away. According to one writer, these verses shine like a single brilliant star above the earthly record of this chapter. Another put it this way. One man breaks the pattern. As a glittering jewel on a pile of otherwise rather dull stones, we are told of Enoch. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And notice that Enoch's placement in the genealogical record of chapter 5 is intentionally dramatic. In chapter 4, in the line of Cain, the seventh from Adam was a man called Lamech, a violent, proud, and ungodly man. In the line of Seth, in chapter 5, Enoch is the seventh from Adam. The writer Moses wants us to notice this stark contrast. According to another writer, they are hell and heaven, exponential death and unbounded life. Enoch is a man we must pay attention to, brothers and sisters. His wisdom simply cannot be passed over because verses 21 to 24 point to him being a man of outstanding faith in his generation, and even in the godly line of Seth. Twice, in two verses, we are told that Enoch walked faithfully with God. So first, the caliber of Enoch's faith 
was such that he was unable to have a deep and intimate relationship with God. A relationship of ongoing commitment and obedience. So instead of telling us how many years Enoch lived after fathering Methuselah in accordance with the pattern of this chapter, for example, Jared lived 800 years in verse 19, and Methuselah lived 782 years in verse 26 after fathering their respective sons. In Enoch's case, the word lived is replaced by the phrase walked faithfully with God. Do you see the point? We are being told that Enoch's deep and intimate communion with God was his life. That was what his 365 years amounted to. A walk with God. Here was a man who prayed knowing he was not merely talking into the air. Nor was he just projecting his own experience of having an earthly father in some psychological way, labelling it God. Now here was a man for whom prayer was not just something done in a crisis, but rather had become over time as natural to Enoch as breathing. And this attitude, this way of life, pleased God because it demonstrated that Enoch believed absolutely in a God that he could not see. And that if he followed hard after this invisible God, if he persevered in pursuing this God, he would eventually be rewarded. Because, of course, God never mocks those who pursue him. And so secondly, Enoch's faith was wonderfully rewarded. In place of the words, and then he died, which is a pattern followed monotonously in this chapter by Adam in verse 5, Seth in verse 8, Enoch in verse 11, Kenan in verse 14, etc., etc. In Enoch's case, we read instead these glorious words. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more. Because God took him away. Enoch simply vanished clean out of this world. We're not told how or when. Perhaps like Elijah, years later, he was taken up in a whirlwind. Fifty men, we're told, spent three days looking for Elijah, but he was nowhere to be found. So it seems as if one day, God could contain himself no longer, and basically said... I want this man with us in heaven. And he took him there. Translated him. So that he should not see any more pain. Any more suffering. Any more corruption. Or any more death ever again. Uh, Perhaps some of the people in chapter 5. Spent days, weeks. Looking for this man Enoch. Friends, family, neighbours. But he was no more. Because God had taken him away. Generations afterwards, no doubt, spoke of Enoch and how he was taken out of this world. And here's the key thing. Keeping alive, even back then, the notion of a life with God after this one. Perhaps Enoch's life and disappearance even provoked some in his generation to seek a life beyond this life. Arguably, this is what Elohim Yahweh had in mind for the whole of humanity. 
had our representatives, Adam and Eve, not rebelled. It is not that they would have gone multiplying on the earth so it became an overcrowded planet. No, God, at the moment of his choosing, would have translated them to be with him in heaven so that they would not taste death. Of course, we can neither affirm nor deny this, but to my mind, it seems like a perfectly reasonable speculation. But in Enoch's case, it is not mere speculation, but fact. The writer of Hebrews writes this about Enoch. You may like to turn to it. Hebrews 11 verse 5 says this. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Because before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So can I ask you as I close, in the light of the fact that death is inevitable and inescapable, what do you make of this man Enoch? Or, more poignantly, what does God think of you? Is God pleased or still angry with you? Do you know anything of a deep and intimate communion with the God of Enoch? Uh, Prior to these verses, the writer of Hebrews defines faith as confidence in what is hoped for and assurance about what cannot be seen. That was the kind of faith Enoch had. It's the kind of faith Christians are to have in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have such a faith? Such confidence? What are you hoping for? Are you trusting in that which cannot be seen? Or are all your eggs in the basket of this world? Career, car, house, family, iPhone, computer games, your Netflix subscription, that annual holiday. All things that death laughs at and will one day rob every one of us of. Ask yourselves, are the things that I do, the things that I desire, the habits that I pursue, such as bring pleasure to God, like they did for Enoch? Or are they such that simply arouse his wrath? Think about it. Dwell on it. According to former British Prime Minister David Cameron, death knows no privilege. Hollywood actor Keanu Reeves, star of a John Wick trilogy of films, said this to one magazine. My knees are well aware of it. Mortality is very different when you're 20 to when you're 50. It creeps in here and there, doesn't it? You look out of the bleak window and then you think about your eyes closing. In other words, death. By contrast, the New Testament tells us everything that was written in the past including Genesis chapter 5, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have... You know what the last word is? Anyone know what the last word is? Hope. 